That is our prayer. Lord, we need you even now as we open up his word, for apart from his spirit, we can understand nothing. And so I trust that that was your prayer, as was mine, as we come up, that we need our Lord. Well, let me ask you this question. Have you ever encounter, ever had an encounter with someone who was trying to help you out, trying to give you advice, uh, share their experience, but you really didn't want to listen to them? Ever had that happen to you? Um, you really didn't care for it. They're, they're offering their services, but yeah, you, you don't really want to uh, buy what they're selling. Um, and that's really true for, I'm sure we can think of times that that's happened to us. We, we don't like to listen to people when they want to help us out or share how they would do something unless we deem that that person is credible. Unless we think that person has the credentials, and that, that doesn't have to be in a real formal sense, but unless that person uh, in some sense has, uh, we deem that they know more than we do about the matter, if we think that we know more, we're not going to listen to them, right? Well, when I was in college, I had uh, an experience like this. Um, our pastor at the time took a group of us guys to the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, which uh, if you haven't been there, you've been blessed. No, uh, <laughs> uh, Jan and Linda are looking like, we love it there. You know? um, no, it, it is, is quite the scene uh, to be there. But anyway, I was there as a, as a 19 or 20-year-old, and, and, uh, and you can attend to many events. And, and one that I saw on the schedule was a, a luncheon provided by the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm, I'm interested in seminary, so I, I think that's where I want to go. And so walking into the lunch, we, me and my friend, we quickly realized, oh, you were supposed to RSVP to this event. Um, because there are name tags on all the, the, the tables, which means, now that I know, those were sponsored tables, and, and this isn't just some nonchalant where college students show up and get a free meal, but nevertheless, I'm walking around looking for a table that does not have a name tag on it. Um, well, looking aimlessly, I'm sure, there was this one table with, a, with some older couples sitting there, and they said, do you all have a place to sit? And we said, no, let's sit around at you join us. And so we sat there and, and, and took our place to sit. Well, I sat next to one gentleman who began asking me and peppering me with all sorts of questions. Well, where are you from? Where's your church? Why are you here? Um, what, what, what is your interest in Southern Seminary? And, and, and really, all I wanted do, to do was hear Dr. Moeller speak about the seminary. I didn't want to talk to this gentleman. I was, yeah, here for a meal, but I had other interests and, you know, giving. I was polite but I really was not uh, interested in the conversation and really was not interested when Dr. Muller actually did get up. And those of you who don't know him, he's the president of Southern Seminary. He's still asking me questions like, you know, have you thought about this? Uh, if you're going to the seminary, have you read this book? And was really trying to take an interest in me. And I was like, no, I haven't read it. You know, still trying to, to listen to what was going on. Well, at the end of the, uh, the event, um, I'm getting from the table, and, and he had learned that he, that who my pastor was at the time, and he said, well, let your pastor know that Buddy Gray said hello. I said, okay. So I go back to my pastor, and I said, hey, some guy named Buddy uh, said hello. 
And I learned, well, that Buddy had one of the largest churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. He was a trustee of Southern Seminary, the chairman of the trustees. And he was recognized uh, for um, particularly in his accomplishment in discipleship in his church where he had trained numerous people through systematic theology and had been and, and it was quite overwhelming accomplishment especially for a church in Birmingham Alabama and I was like oh so I probably should have listened to what he had <laughs> to say <clears throat> well in the book of Proverbs wisdom is appealing to us to listen to what she has to say. Proverbs is personified in the book of Proverbs um, as one soliciting her services to anyone who will listen. She cries out to every person uh, that anyone who may hear, and you see this, and if you haven't opened up your Bibles, do so already to Proverbs chapter 8. <coughs> she says in Proverbs 8, 4, to you, O men, I call my cry is to the children of man. She is crying out in the streets, listen to me, I have something valuable to offer you. However, it's only those who see her value as better than jewels, more precious than silver or gold, more valuable than anything that we can desire. It is only they who will heed her call. And so knowing that we're prideful people, right? We're um, rebellious people. We are independent people. We don't like people telling us what to do. We got it all under control. Wisdom cries out to us, but knowing that we're hard-headed, wisdom therefore puts forth, you could put it, her resume or her credentials, why we should listen to her. And at the top of this resume, if you will, reads the preeminence of wisdom in creation. That's her specialty. I'm preeminent in creation. And this is what wisdom means beginning in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of the acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up. At the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills had been brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the depths, or the dust of the world, when he had established the heavens, I was there. When the, he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Wisdom says, I was there from the beginning. You want to know if I am credible? You want to know if, if I have the credentials and the experience to speak into your life? Well, let me tell you, I've been there before there was anything. That's what wisdom says, being personified in this text. And so this morning, I want to invite us to consider the preeminence of wisdom in creation. 
We're going to look at what exactly does that mean. What does it mean in this passage that wisdom was set up before the earth was founded? And with that consideration, we're going, to, we're going to do so so that we may obtain this invaluable wisdom which will bring us everlasting joy in Jesus. So to begin, I want us to consider point number one, wisdom's origin before creation. Wisdom's origin before creation. So keeping with the prophetic kind of genre of Proverbs, this, this begins by saying, the Lord possessed me. You, you could even jump back to verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell. Uh, wisdom's being personified as a person, very similar as we saw a couple of weeks ago with the forbidden lover, which was personified as this adulterous woman. Uh, this isn't a, a, a real woman, can take the shape of a real one, woman, but, but Solomon's written it in such a way that we're encountering somebody. And so wisdom here is personified as, as lady wisdom. And this person, this individual, is said to be birthed, to be possessed, to be created before the foundation of the world. And we see that in verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. That word translated possessed, it, it carries the idea of creation. It carries the idea of being brought forth. And that's clearly the idea when you look in verses 24 and 25, because that's exactly what Lady Wisdom says, that before there, there were depths, I was brought forth. Verse 25, before the hills, I was brought forth. And that bringing forth is the terms of childbirth. So the picture here is of, of, of God birthing wisdom. Now this is, like I said, poetic language. But giving the idea here that, that wisdom comes from God. Wisdom has a divine origin. And it's expressed in, in these three ways. Number one, that it's possessed by the Lord. Before the Lord created the earth, the first act to come from God was wisdom. Verse 23 the Lord enthroned wisdom. You see that? Ages ago, I was set up. That phrase, set up, is used actually only one other time in the Old Testament. It's used in Psalm chapter 2, verse 6, where the Lord speaks of his Messiah, and he says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So it's a royal term. There's a, a sense in which wisdom has been established preeminent over the creation. And then the Lord birthed wisdom. This makes sense to what wisdom says earlier in the, in the chapter. Look in verses 14 through 16. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign. And rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. We think of the greatest rulers to have ever ruled. We think of maybe the greatest presidents to have ever uh, led our country. And wisdom says they're nothing compared to me. That what they got right was only because they got me. That they ascertained a bit of my wisdom. Kings rule by my wisdom. Princes and nobility, if they do what is just, it is only just because they have done it according to my standards. 
And so the point that I want you to see here is that wisdom, her main credential, is that she comes from God himself. And so wisdom has been around longer than anything else. In fact, wisdom has her origins from God. And, and since God is eternal, really what we should be understanding is that this wisdom is eternal wisdom. This is divine wisdom. Throughout Proverbs, Proverbs will prop up the aged. The, the, the one who has gray hair has glory. And there's something there that wisdom is, is trying to teach us, that, that those who have witnessed life at a grander scale or with a, a longer timeline than, than some of us, you need to listen to them. Because they know and they've seen things come around. They're not as greatly surprised by what happens because they've been there before. Well, in a far greater way, wisdom is saying, I've been there from the beginning. I have seen everything. I have been there before Adam and Eve were created, and I have seen every other person live since. And so if you want to know if I've got experience, yeah, I've got some. That's what wisdom is trying to say. I have seen it all. But maybe more important for us this morning, why, why should we care about wisdom's experience and that wisdom was before the foundation of the world? Well, it's because wisdom has not been tainted by the curse of sin. This is not, hey, here's some good suggestions with a, a little shred of error because, you know, no one's perfect. No, wisdom is, is calling, but better yet, summoning us. Saying, you must listen to me. And the reason you must listen to me, she expounds it, beginning in verse um, 6 of chapter 8. She says, Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come, will come what is right. So, kind of thinking back to that person who gives you advice that you don't want to hear from. You sometimes go back, you know, that person always thinks they're right. And they always wanted us to do it their way. Well, wisdom can genuinely say, you must do it my way. Wisdom has that trump card. She goes on and she says, from my mouth, verse 7, will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. And all the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. Because wisdom is not tainted by the fall, we should listen to the words of wisdom. We should listen to Lady Wisdom as, as she is presented to us in the book of Proverbs because what she says is right. What she says is true. What she says is noble and good. This passage makes me think of the book of James where James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all and he'll give it to him. Notice he doesn't say, go, go seek out the world. Go to, you know, to Books a Million and get a, a self-help book. He doesn't say that. You know, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, any of you are lacking wisdom for how to live this life, if you're in a bind, if you are, 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 are wondering, how, what decision should I make? And you feel helpless. Have you turned to the one who birthed wisdom the one by whom which wisdom overflows out of 
Later, James contrasts the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. In James chapter 3, he says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, he's writing to Christians. So let's ask that question. Who is wise and understanding among us? Who is it? How might you answer that question? James answers it this way. He says, this is how you will know who is wise among you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So you want to know who's wise among you? You will see godly wisdom characterizing their life. But he contrasts it with worldly wisdom. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. James is getting a little crazy on us. You mean if our wisdom is not from the wisdom of above, we're talking about demonic stuff? Yep. We're talking about unspiritual stuff? He calls it earthly. We typically, we typically say worldly wisdom. He goes, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You want to see demonic wisdom at work? Just watch their conduct. Jealousy, strife, vile things are both spoken out of their lips and exemplified in their actions. You will find the fool. But you want to know who's wise among you? He describes the wisdom above as this way. It is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. That's the wisdom that comes from, he says, above. And Lady Wisdom is saying, I'm that wisdom from above. And, and, and Oak Park, I've got good news for us. Divine wisdom is not hiding from us. Divine wisdom is not running from us. Rather, if, you, if you're still in, in, in Proverbs chapter 8, look in verse 17. Rather, wisdom says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. She's not running from you. She says, if you seek me, you're going to find me. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. Our Heavenly Father is a generous Father. Jesus says it this way, which one of you, speaking to fathers, if your child asks him for an egg, gives him a snake? And he says, well, how much more will your heavenly father, who's not tainted by sin, if you ask him for good things, will supply you abundantly? Do you ask the Lord for wisdom? Do you seek his face? He's, he's not trying to be like a genie in a bottle or, or a, a magic eight ball where you got to shake it. No, he's readily there, and he's personified here as, as one who's calling in the streets, saying, all who come, you will come to me and you will find rest. So not only is wisdom preeminent because of her divine origin, but her preeminence is evident in her work in creation. So this is point number two. Wisdom's work in creation. Because wisdom was there before the earth was founded, wisdom was also present as the world was created. But more importantly, Proverbs 8 teaches us that wisdom was the agent 
by which God created the world. Jump down to verse 27. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, I was there. When he made firm the skies above, I was there. When he established the fountains of the deep, I was there. When he assigned the sea its limit, I was there. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was there. Then I was beside him like a master workman. What is wisdom saying? I was there when the Lord created the heavens. That is, that is the sky. That is the sun, the moon, the stars, the galaxies. We read that in, in our weekly scripture reading from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Have you ever looked at the sky and seen the intricacies of the stars and the galaxies? Wisdom says, I was there. I was a part of it. The circle that's on the face of the deep. You ever been out on the ocean and you look out on the horizon and there's like a line just cut right across the top? It's the horizon line. Wisdom is saying, I was there. Verse 27 says, I made firm the skies above. This is, this is likely talking about, the, the, as Genesis 1 says, he separated the waters from the waters. There's the waters in the sky, a la the clouds. And then there's the foundations of the deep, the waters that spring up. Wisdom says, I was there when the Lord separated the waters from the waters. Not only that, verse 29, when he assigned, when he ordered to the sea its limits. I love the ocean. I love the beach. Because you go right up and it's as if, yes, even with the tide, it only has a certain amount of limit. What is, who is holding back all this water? Wisdom is. God, in his wisdom, tells the sea how far it can go. And we're reminded of how much we're dependent upon the, the word of his power every time there's a hurricane. I was traveling back from Florida with the last one that came through. I was kind of excited about it, to be honest. But, uh, you know, we're traveling alongside that storm. And what is everyone worried about? The waters crossing their limits. Kind of on a side note here, I was recently in, uh, interviewed by uh, a previous member. She used to be in the student ministry. She's now in college, and she is taking a class on, on Bible and, and current issues, and the issue that was assigned to her was climate change. I'm not going to get into all those issues, but one of the, the fears that you hear about climate change is that if this begins to accelerate, the, the ice capsules are going to melt and the seawaters are going to rise and we are going to be flooded again. Well, the problem is, is that the Lord has set its limits. And the Lord promised that he would not flood the earth ever again. And so we don't have to fear those things. I don't have to know the science behind it, and I'll leave that. Maybe it is happening, but what I do know is that the Lord who created the world is wise, and he has ordered the seas and the oceans, and he has set their limits. We don't have to fear, and that is really what wisdom is doing here. We fear the ocean, don't we? 
When you get in, maybe just a little too deep, and you can't see, what do you think of? Sharks. Right? Because there's something scary about the unknown of the deep, and the Lord in His wisdom has it all in His hands. Wisdom's got a pretty good resume, don't you think? And so the picture that is painted for us is not only that wisdom was present when the world began, but that the world was shaped, created, ordered, and founded in wisdom. This is why in verse 30, wisdom is described as an artisan or an architect, a master workman. Therefore, God's wisdom is weaved into the fabric of every element of creation. It's then by God's wisdom and God's power over creation, or it's by wisdom that God's power over creation is expressed. We see the power of God as he holds back the seas. As we feel the, the, the wind. Have you ever woken up in the night and you hear the wind pounding on your door? You can't stop the wind. The wind of a tornado, you, you feel the power of the wind, but yet the wind is under his control. It is by wisdom that the world is ordered and brought under control. Who, who sets the order of the seasons? And you can learn a lot about being organized just by looking at how God organized the world. It's kind of on clockwork. There's, there's, there's seasons of the year. There's harvest time. Kind of coming back to the ocean, there's the, the tides. I watched this show, Brennan knows it, alone. Where they put people in the middle of nowhere without anything. It's how long can you stay alone? You know how they figure out sometimes when's the best time to go eat, when, what time of day it is? They, they learn the tides. They learn, they watch, they see the sun, they, they watch the order of creation. They're able to, to organize their day. The setting and the rising of the sun, the orbits of the stars and the planets. All these things are not random. They're not just happening willy-nilly. God in his wisdom does these things. One commentator rightly says, you have to be godly to be wise. And this is not because godliness pays, but because the only wisdom by which you can handle everyday things in conformity with their nature is the wisdom by which they were divinely made and ordered. We have to align ourselves with wisdom by which he has created the world. And it is this principle of wisdom's preeminence in creation that is appealed throughout the rest of Proverbs. And so just to remind you, Proverbs weren't really just in the introduction. Chapters 1 through 9 is an introduction to listen to what is going to be said. Look in Proverbs 10.1. What's the first words? The Proverbs of Solomon. So in some sense, yes, we are in his, but the Proverbs formally come in chapter 10. But Solomon is giving us eight, nine chapters to draw us in saying, you need to listen. And he concludes really with this appeal to creation. And we're going to see this appeal to creation throughout our study of Proverbs. And so I want you to see this. Flip over to the end of Proverbs in Proverbs 30. And look at how we are called to pay attention to the most minute details of creation. Proverbs 30, verse 24. 
four things on earth are small. He's, he's saying, just consider some small things of the earth. But they are exceedingly wise. Why are they exceedingly wise? Because every fabric of creation is woven with wisdom. Even the ant, verse 25. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in summer. So why do we need to concern ourselves with ants? As a kid, you know what I concerned myself with ants with? Getting my magnifying glass and burning them. You know, that was, that was the most I considered about an ant. Or finding their anthills and smashing them like I was some giant. But yeah, I could, learn, I could have learned some wisdom. We learn from them their concern for forethought and organization to make provision for their food. He goes on, he says, the rock badger, verse 26, are a people not mighty. We're not a people mighty. Yet they make their homes in the cliffs. It's their ingenuity to find a place of of security and shelter. You can just see it in in, in creation. He goes on, "The, the locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. Their cooperation and order when massed together makes a mighty army and becomes a force to be reckoned with. Oh, we can learn so much even how to to serve one another in the church and and work together and get collective and ordered. He goes on to the lizard. He says, the lizard you can take in your hands. When me and my kids go down to Florida, we hunt lizards. Not to kill them, but to get them in our hands and, and play with them. But he says, you'll also... Yet they are also in the king's palaces. What's the point there? The lizard's elusive. He can go in all the crevices. He's smart. He stays out of trouble. And wisdom is all about getting away from the fools and getting off the crooked path. Be like the lizard. And where do you find the lizard? You find him even in the palaces of the king. We learn about the value of animals and humans. Proverbs 12, 10. Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. See, people who are cruel to animals, they they don't know wisdom. There's something built in, and this could be your pet, this could be on the farms. You treat your animals correctly. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. How do you view other people who aren't of value to you? Do you insult them? You don't realize that God even crafted humanity in his wisdom. Every person has value. Every person is is made in the image of God. We learn the attributes of God in Proverbs 30 verse 4. Words of Augur, he, he, he asks these questions. He says, who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know. Well, we know now. His son's name is Jesus, who wraps the waters up like a garment, who holds the wind in his fist. We can learn a lot about the Lord and His attributes from creation. Proverbs 20, verse 12, The hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. These themes are picked up even in the New Testament. Jesus appealing 
the people who are worried, he says, do not be anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. For I tell you, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Paul says it this way, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has, made, has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been cr- clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. God's glory, God's splendor, his attributes to learn from him screams to us through the wisdom that made the world. But those who reject wisdom, Paul says they're, they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. I love how R.C. Sproul pictures this. He says, picture creation like this giant spring. And those who reject the wisdom of, of the world, or of God, revealed in creation, they're like these who are having to always push it down because when they let go, it bounces right back up in their face. And so claiming to be wise, they become fools. So even a, a Stephen Hawking, probably know that name, He's considered one of the most brilliant minds of our time. He's, uh, um, um, he's into quantum physics and gravity and, and, and the origins of the universe. He's a brilliant person. Yet he rejects the wisdom of God. And he will be found a fool. But you and I, though not having the intellectual firepower of a quantum physicist, maybe you do, I don't, are considered wiser than he if we fear the Lord and see his handiwork in all creation. You don't have to know how it works. You just need to know what's woven in and through it. Wisdom is. So wisdom is preeminent in her origin, in her work, and now we're going to see wisdom's preeminent in her joy. Wisdom's delight in creation is my final point. Wisdom's delight in creation. So coming back to Proverbs 8, we see that God's delight or joy in wisdom is expressed through the creation. Look at at verse 30. Then I was beside him like a master workman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. This joy, the joy of God, is seen both in creation of the earth and humanity. Let me ask you, do you view God as joyful? How do you view God? When you, when you try to picture God, and now that's, that's scary territory, but do you say he's joyful God? Or do you think he's like this grumpy miser? That's kind of the picture I had growing up. God is all against fun. If it's joyful, well, it's not Christian. That was kind of what I thought. But no, we, we learned something here. No, no. God's joy is abundant. And it's expressed in how he created the world. I know I've had us jumping around Proverbs, but we're going to keep doing that. Let's go to Proverbs 30 again. Proverbs 30, verses 18 and 19. And we see how God is glorified and shares his joy with us in creation. 
verse 18, three things are too wonderful for me. Four I do not understand. They are beyond my comprehension. They are jaw-dropping. It says, the way of an eagle in the sky. Have you ever seen an eagle fly? Even the youngest among us, or, or the oldest among us, you've seen an eagle with their wings spread and soaring. How is it that they just glide through the air? That brings joy to your heart, doesn't it? Sometimes at a halftime show, what happens? Some guy comes out with a big old glove and a bald eagle comes flying in and it wows the crowd. You get joy out of that. Well, that's God's joy. He's just sharing. He's just saying, here's a drop of joy for you. It goes on, the serpent. The way of the serpent on a rock. I like to look at serpents in the zoo, personally. But they're fascinating, especially if they get moving and, and you might see them on a rock and, and they just slither through their crevices. And even though they freak most of us out, we're just, we, we can't help but look at them. And, and, and zoos, just think of all the animals that, that you come in and you go and you stand and you look at them sit. And they look back at you, yet you say, This is awesome! This is great! There's joy, aquariums. You go and, and you get a glimpse of the mystery of the deep and all the beautiful colors and all the vast array of, of fish and, and marine life. He says, I, I consider these things and, and they're far too wonderful for me. The way of the ship on the high seas. The wonder of craftsmanship. How do we build these ships that are able to just cut through the waters. Because even that is God's wisdom, which man has been access to. And then he gets to this last phrase, in the way of a man with a virgin. Even the intimacy, the joy experienced between a husband and his wife is part of God's joy shared with us. I like what John Piper says about this. He says, God is not a killjoy. God is against the things that kill joy. Sin kills joy. Sin perverts joy. Wisdom is all about joy. All about the joy of knowing the Lord. And so creation is like a window a window into the delight of knowing God. Now, one more text, and, and we're going we're gonna to close up here. Proverbs 24. And I want you to see just how practical this is. And this is how you, you, you see sometimes people say, you know, we want to be worshiping the Lord all the time. We want to be praising His name all the time. Prayer without ceasing. And you say, you know, how in the world? That would be so boring. Not if you understand it the delight of his creation, and you rightly give glory to him in all things. And so Proverbs, or Solomon writes to his son in verses 13, he says, my son, and I can picture him maybe having a Winnie the Pooh bottle of honey here. Eat honey. That good? The drippings of the honeycomb, they're sweet to your taste. What's your favorite dessert? Like when you're splurging, what is it? 
Mine's cheesecake tiramisu. Best of both worlds. It's a little bit of chocolate and espresso and a cheesecake. Put it into one. I mean, I bite that thing. I can't finish it because it is so rich. That it literally tingles and it's like it's overwhelming to the senses. What, you might not like that. That's fine. Think about your favorite dessert. Taste it. It's good, right? Look at what he says in verse 14. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. How do you experience the joy of the Lord? Experience his creation rightly. Enjoy it and give thanks to him, the father of every good gift. And you can enjoy the world, and you know what it's telling you? It's a, it's a lesson, a very experimental taste and see that the Lord is good. You know he's good because you taste and you experience him in your relationships and the things that you do that bring joy to your heart. When you understand wisdom's preeminence over all of it, oh, now you have a category to give thanks to him in all things. You can glorify him in everything you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, you do it all to the glory of God. And so this is why Proverbs distinguishes loving the benefits of God over God himself. Because if I begin to consume cheesecake tiramisu every day, all day long, it gets kind of disgusting. And I become, as, as Proverbs says, the glutton. And the picture of the glutton is he becomes the sluggard. And he gets so lazy that he, he falls asleep with his hand in the pie. And he can't even bring it to his mouth. You can kind of picture this just person just laying over the dinner table cheesecake tiramisu dripping from their face it gets perverted right same thing with intimacy the joy of the lord is perverted when it becomes the forbidden lover the same thing with riches and money you pursue it for as an end in of itself it will destroy you but you find wisdom and riches and honor with her Eight, eighteen. enduring wealth and righteousness why? Because she owns the world. Wisdom in and of itself is pretty abstract though, right? How do you get excited about an idea? Solomon's personified wisdom, but it's a personification. How do you get excited about wisdom? We discover in the New Testament this passage isn't Jesus, but this passage points to Jesus. Jesus is the true and better wisdom of Proverbs chapter 8. Jesus is the true and better Solomon. Jesus is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the one who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Jesus is not the first created being, but the creator of all things. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is calling us through his creation, being the better wisdom. He atoned for our sins so that we may share in his delight. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? 
So all the calls, listen to wisdom. Where do we find wisdom? We, we find wisdom who became a person in Jesus the Christ. So maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I'm not so sure about the Jesus business. I'm not, I'm not sure I should give my life to him. I'm having a lot of joy and fun without him. I would say, apart from him, that joy will turn to curse. Just like you learn every meal, whether it's your most favorite meal, by the end of the meal, your stuff, you want no more. Well, the joy that Jesus offers never ends. And this world is just a window, a taste bud, a launching pad to say, hey, did you like that? That comes from me. Come, all you who are, are weary. My burden is light. Come, and you will find rest. You will find the joy of the Lord. Let us pray, and we will sing in response to this joy. Dear Lord Jesus, you are full of wisdom. Fullness of wisdom dwells in you. You have become the wisdom of God to us. Lord, we saw the wisdom of God in the cross, which is foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. Lord, may we find your wisdom through the cross. And we come to the cross and have our eyes opened to see the one who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And it led to exaltation and resurrection. And Lord, that is the path that we want to be on. And so Lord, I pray for any of us here who lack wisdom, who do not know you. May any of us, if we lack, may we ask to our generous Father in, who, in heaven who is eager to lavish us with every good gift. And Lord, may we leave this place and as we scatter to our places of, of work, to school, to our neighborhoods, may we be offering tastes, samples, tastes of your grace, tastes of your joy, saying there's more where that came from. Come with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand and we sing of our generous King.